But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Amen. Let us pray. We gather this morning, rejoice in God, uh, to have uh, access to our original facilities. a little easier, Lord, and less cleaning, in fact. And we are thankful, Lord, uh, that the church is so uh, positive towards us and wishes us well, Lord, and even our prosperity. We pray to that end, God, that you would help us grow spiritually and numerically, especially during this difficult COVID time, uh, God, uh, that people are having a hard time getting out and finding churches and, and the like, Lord, that they would find us. You will find a church, Lord, uh, that loves uh, those that love you and is certainly friendly towards even the unbeliever God. We pray in particular this morning as we come before a holy Lord and Savior for our sins, Lord God above, both in thought, word, and deed, uh, that we would repent of them, Lord, that we would continue to hate them and fight against our sins, Lord, that so easily besets us. And always, Lord, with the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, thanking you for our, our salvation, thanking you for delivering us, Lord, thanking you for giving us your spirit, for giving us your word, for giving us your church here at Providence, for giving us the regional church of the Presbyterian, Lord, and for the national church of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and all other churches of like faith and practice, indeed all those that name the name of Christ Jesus, Lord, with the sincerity of heart. We pray, God, for their prosperity, especially spiritually, Lord, to grow and to know more of you, Lord, whatever church they may be, Lord, that is faithful to you. And God, that they would have the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the true practices of the apostles, uh, Lord above, and especially to stand firm against the wickedness of this day and age that's seeping into the church that wishes to water down uh, the truth of your word and the practice of your word and of our received traditions, God. We pray, Lord, for the officers of your church, in particular, Lord, our church and our regional church of the Presbytery, God, and the OPC, that you would be with them, that you would give them insight into the times and seasons in which we find ourselves, Lord, and wisdom and how to respond to them, God, whether it be diaconal issues uh, or uh, pre- issues of preaching, Lord, and Christian education and the like, God. And we're thankful, Lord, for much work that has been done over the many years, Lord, to preserve and protect us, uh, both spiritually, uh, financially, Lord, and materially, God, as a denomination, for there are legal issues that we have to be aware of, uh, Lord, and we have uh, even lawyers uh, that we need to have access to, God, and they've been good to us. We pray, Lord, for our members of our churches and our church here, that they would stand firm upon your word, that they would uh, uh, encourage the pastors and the officers of the church to continue to do their work before you, Lord, and uh, urge them and pray for them, Lord, and encourage them, we ask, and even at times, if need be, uh, to warn and admonish, Lord, with all humility. And we ask, God, that you would help our members grow, to love you, to love each other, even in the midst of this difficult time we find ourselves in. In fact, to double down, Lord, in our commitment to one another and to you above all. We pray and ask, God, that you would strengthen our church, strengthen her, Lord, insofar as she has the need to be strong in the Lord and the holiness and obedience to your word. We pray, God, for our society, the culture and the world that we live in, that we grew up as Americans, God, and and as love to our neighbors, which is in particular expressed as patriotism here with respect to our nation, God, uh, that we would have truth and justice, Lord, in America, both locally, statewide, and nationally, God, on a whole host of matters. Uh, there is much confusion. Uh, there is much outright lies and manipulation, Lord, uh, not only from politicians, but from our news sources, God, 
And even in conservative circles, Lord, we don't always know the truth, God, because we forget that even in conservatives, God, there are uh, unbelievers and wicked men uh, who use the conservative line uh, to push their agenda or to push their need for money or desire for money, God, and the like. And so, God, help us, Lord, to be aware of these things, to pray to such an end, to work to such an end for truth and justice, God, in the courts and in society, Lord, uh, even in matters that are not directly related to legal law as such. We think of what's going on in New York City as they're setting aside billions of dollars to strangers in our land, God, to help them with COVID, about $15,000 a person, where the rest of us uh, lose our jobs and get maybe $600, 800 or $1,000. And so, God... Uh, such injustices, we pray, as we sung in this song, especially for Christians, Lord. Christians have lost their job. Uh, Christians uh, are going further into debt because of COVID and the like. God is not just uh, an average American because of all the difficulties we have. And we pray for uh, their justice. We pray for the oppression upon them, Lord God above. Your precious spirit, Lord, we pray that we work uh, to the protection of your church, especially with COVID, Lord, that it would be uh, removed from the land, that we would come back to normalcy and have our freedoms retained and sustained, God, in your providence, through our prayers and through the efforts that we have, Lord, as best we can with the, admittedly, it seems very weak efforts, uh, that is, weak ability that we have collectively as Christians, God, in our vote. Uh, We are so outnumbered in many ways. And so, precious Lord, we ask for the redemption of your people and for more people to be saved in society, Lord, to wake up to the wickedness that they are imbibing in. We ask, God, that you would be with us as a church through the ordinary things of life, Lord, such as food and water. We're thankful for the snow and more snow and possible rain, God. We need these things in the land that we find ourselves in in Colorado. We thank you, Lord, for the farmers that we have and the water needed for the livestock and for the food and the ground, God, that you would also, uh, Lord, keep us prosperous that way again, especially for the sake of your church here in America. We pray, Lord, for those Christians struggling for employment. We're certainly thankful, God, uh, for the blessings we have in that regard in our church. But we know, again, uh, unemployment was high before COVID, Lord, spreading throughout the nation, and it's high again. We ask, Lord, you be with those Christians, help them, help the churches, Lord, to uh, do what they can to help their fellow Christians, Lord, to help those, Lord, who are their own, that's supposed to love with a brotherly love, God above. We pray, God, you be with us this morning and guide the preaching of your word for the edification of the saints. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us read the Apostles' Creed. Let us say it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, 24 and following. Um, 
besides the air temperature being better controlled in this room, lighting is better. Be surprised the lighting wasn't actually that good up there. It bounced everywhere, but not here. <clears throat> Acts fourteen twenty four to twenty eight. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let us pray. God above, with this text, Lord, we read about a report. Report to the Presbytery. In fact, it's a Presbytery report to the Presbytery, about the churches within the Presbytery, that is, the regional church of God. And so, Lord, may it again remind us and encourage us and cement us in the truth of Presbyterianism, rightly understood, is from the Word of God. It is a way Jesus Christ wants the church to be run and organized. And so, Lord, help us, we pray, to continue to believe in that and to do what we can to sustain that and sustain our church and our Presbytery and pray for them. In the name of Lord, we pray. Amen. Being that we had Presbytery this week, or last week, I thought it fitting to talk about Presbyterianism from the sermon. Here in Acts 14, in these verses, you shall see more than perhaps you realize. These little snapshots here in Acts, in this section here, verses 24 to 28, are snapshots of the life of the early church, and they are quite instructive in many regards. They offer a picture that is easy to emulate, in fact, yet rarely so for the majority of Protestant churches in America. As perhaps you may know, uh, the biggest denomination, I use the word loosely, would be the Baptists. Southern Baptist Convention being the largest loose association of Baptists who are, by definition, independent churches. In this case, we read in these verses of a collection of churches which were started by evangelist missionaries Paul and Barnabas, that's what we have in the prior section of the chapter, who were sent by the leaders of Antioch. They established this collection of churches by their preaching and the appointment of presbyters in every church. Read that in verse 23. So when they had appointed elders or presbyters in every church, they prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord which they had believed. This is what they did. This is what we believe in doing ourselves. They established this collection of churches by the preaching and by the appointment or the laying on of hands of presbyters in every church. Today, in Presbyterian circles, we do similar things. We send out our missionaries by authority of a presbytery to establish a new collection of churches, which in turn becomes a new presbytery. In this particular case, they come back, or they came back, to the place that they're sending off, that is Paul and Barnabas, and offer a report of their mission work. A report of the committee. Does that sound familiar? A nice Presbyterian way of doing things. Make a committee. <clears throat> in this particular case, they came back, they offered this report, and as we dig in to these verses, we'll see how this fits within the Presbyterian church model. We have a tour of the Presbytery, verses 24 to 26, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word to Perga, they went down to Atelia. They had gone already through some of these places. That's why I say a tour. Went through lower parts of uh, Turkey there and looped back and went and looped back again. They started from Antioch, which is in the armpit up there north in Syria and Turkey. So, 
I am arguing that these churches and regions are presbyteries. What is a presbytery before I make the argument? It's used elsewhere. The word is used. It's in the Bible. It's used in Luke twenty-two sixty-six. For it's been translated assembly of the elders or assembly of the presbyters. Okay, it's used by the Jews. They already knew what it was. It wasn't something new. Acts twenty-two five. The council of the elders used again to gathering of church officers to make a group-wide decision. Obviously, you gather the elders together, gather, gather leaders together. They're there to do something other than party, obviously. They're going to make decisions and relevant decisions to those churches they represent. For every synagogue, and of course we know in the New Testament, every church has elders, presbyters. We can define a presbytery, that particular word, more precisely, a governing body of officers of a regional collection of churches. So there are two parts, a governing body of officers, and they are over a regional collection of churches. That's it. Nothing more complicated than that. That's what we have here in the Presbytery of the Dakotas. We have about 15 churches in Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, North and South Dakota. That's a region, collection of churches, and we have presbyters over them. So it is a governing body over a collection of churches. And we can certainly find a collection of churches, and I've preached on this before, and I won't go uh, through a lot of it here, but all you need is essentially one instance of it to see that this is what's done in the New Testament. That whenever you read the word church singular, it doesn't always mean church singular. That sounds terrible, doesn't it, from a pastor? But obviously I'm equivocating on the word. I'm changing the categories. You can use the word church to refer to a denomination, can you not? We do that. We talk about the Church of England. But it's a comprised of what? A bunch of small, local, independent church or independent local churches. It's not like American already. Uh, local churches. So we understand that language already. question is, is that kind of use of the word church, that is a, a collection of churches, singular, to represent the plural, that is, it represents their unity, doesn't it? When you say something's one thing, or the Church of England, you're saying they're all united as this denomination. They have a governing authority over them, they have governing constitution, and they do. So the use of the singular, or the plural, makes sense. That happens in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1-2, we read of Paul writing his letter, right? What do you write his letter to? To the Corinthians, you say, well, not quite to the Corinthians as individuals, but rather, and I cannot, there we go. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, which is a city. And like all cities, they had kind of suburbs, too. It says the church, singular. And yet we read in 1 Corinthians 14.34, same book, same audience, Let your women keep silent in the churches, plural. Now, how's that going to work out? It only makes sense in a Presbyterian context, wherein we have a collection of churches described as one entity. And it only makes sense as one entity because it's one governing entity that we call a Presbytery. Now, there are other arguments. I went through those before. Here, 
it's going to be emphasizing the governance, the report to the Presbytery by members of the Presbytery. So I'm not going to emphasize uh, the regional churches here. So we look more carefully here. In this text alone, forget about Church of Corinth. We're going back to Acts. If I can get there. There we go. So, are these lists of places, that's important, these lists of places, I use the word place very broad because you have cities and you have regions. You're not going to know this unless you get a, a Bible dictionary or a good commentary. Because you don't, I don't know these places, I had to look them up. Some of them are regions, some of them are cities. You with me already? Okay. So, we have a regional collection of churches here. Pamphylia is a region, had at least two churches, Perga and Atalia. Okay, Pastor, you're going through. Okay, right here, verse 24. They came to Pamphylia. Pamphylia is a region, and it has two churches, Perga and Atalia. And we read that in verse 25. And they preached the word in Perga, and they went down to Atalia. So they treat the area and the regions as regions that are important. The prior region of Lasonia had the cities of Derb, uh, Derbe, Lystra, and Iconium, each with at least one church. Uh, so that's in the previous verses there. Verse 21, we read, for example, and they preached uh, there in that region. They talk about going to regions and preaching the regions and the cities in those regions. And they are treated as one in the report of the apostles. So you have Pisidia, verse 24, Pamphylia, that's a city, Perga, and Atalia, verse 25, and they are treated as one collection of churches in the report. And then when they came and they gathered the churches together, they reported all that God had done with them, and they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, that is, through the work and their ministry of preaching in verse 27. They are not reporting, for example, on the works of Cyprus or Jerusalem. Those are already established churches, and presbyteries, in fact. Jerusalem was a presbytery, and multiple churches. <clears throat> but what they went through in Turkey this collection of churches. And we see that the authority of the apostles was bound by region. And that's why they talk about just this region that they went through. Romans 15.20, maybe, maybe you never thought about this. Their authority was, in fact, bound by regions. And so I have made it my aim, Paul says, to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. He had his duty. He wasn't going to preach over here in those areas and those cities. They already had established churches. He's going to go where Christ has never been here, all through the region of Turkey. He says, I won't do it. I won't work in another man's field. Now, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, do you think that's being done in America right now? We're in one church or three churches right now, right? We're in one church building with three churches. We're all working in everyone else's field. Now, part of that is because of gross errors such as cults and denominations that we have. And other part is because we don't have anything even close to the idea of an established church in America. And so in that regard, we have a lot of overlap. Paul looked at it differently. Be curious what America would look like if we had a different approach this way. So they kept geographical differences. Paul was not going to go where the church had been established. There's churches there already. They're going to preach. He's going to leave them alone. He's not just wandering evangelists like we have in America that keeps going into other pastors' backyards and stirring up trouble. That's what often happens historically. <clears throat> they function as a presbytery. 
we uh, have this idea of what a function of a presbytery is. So we talk about uh, a governing body over a collection of churches. That's a presbytery, right? So this governing body, what does it do? What's this authority? What's, what's governing or what's the function of a presbytery or this college of elders or assembly of elders? We can certainly say where the function of a presbytery is enacted, there is a presbytery, right? Where the function of a presbytery is enacted, where, where the job and the work of a presbytery is enacted, there is a presbytery. So, for example, to use a modern example, it's going to be kind of strange, I suppose, but because, and again, Americans don't use the language of the Bible or of history. They'll just say we're independent. The church across from us, the diagonal church, um, flat, flat irons, flat irons church, right? They are four or five churches. One here, uh, one up uh, I-70, one up in Lafayette, and they have another one they're making, right? So it's four churches. What is that? Collection of churches. They all have their own pastors, but they also have a chief pastor. He's the big kahuna up there in Lafayette, right? And they run, they call the shots. What do you call that collection with a governing body? They're functionally a presbytery. They won't say it. They're going to say they're Baptists, but they're functionally a presbytery. multiple churches. But it's a bishopric model, right? We have one guy, like a Moses, calling the shots. Although he didn't quite call the shots. If you know history, he had elders with him as well. So that's what I mean. Where the function of a presbytery is, there is a presbytery. People may call a rose by any other name, but it's still a rose, isn't it? The function is still there. So what we read here is the function of a presbytery. The laying on of hands of ordination is the function of a presbytery. Because that word is actually used there, right? The laying on of hands of the presbytery in 1 Timothy. There is a presbytery. Well, the function of a presbytery is, there is a presbytery. That's all I'm saying. 1 Timothy 4.14 Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. And what do we read in verse 23? Oh, when Paul, uh, was it Paul? Yeah, Paul and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders in every church, who gets to appoint elders? Presbyters. A presbytery. Everyone with me? Paul and Barnabas are enacting the powers of presbytery. They're giving reports, too. We're going to go into the implications of that as well. Now, we know that they can enact these office, uh, these power of a presbytery because they were sent out in Acts 13. We'll get to that in a little bit. Remember Acts 13. The elders and the prophets laid hands on Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine that? That is, they appointed and anointed them to a particular task in ministry. They gave them a job. Paul! Shouldn't Paul be running around, bossing them around? Isn't that the Moses model, like right? These, some of these churches use? Well, no, he was a humble man. He was going to let the church, the presbytery, and the elders direct him. And he did. Pray that we would have more such humble leaders. Now, the apostolic office, of course, was unique. I want to say this as a note. But... Remember, the greater office includes the lesser office, right? If we're, our church is small enough, we don't have deacons anymore, who gets to be the deacon? Pastor and the elders. If the church is small enough, you don't have any more elders, all you have is a pastor, who gets to be the elders and the deacons? The pastor. So the other offices are succumbed under the, other, the higher office when need be and are exercised that way. And in fact, we have uh, ministers who sit on deacon boards. Right at the Presbyterian General Assembly level, which is a spiritual act. <clears throat> if the presbyter uh, they picked, of course, was a false shepherd, would Paul wring his hands and say that he and his presbyters could not discipline him? Of course he could. They're going to discipline him. 
The governing by appointments there is a governing of authority and power and the like. Specifically, we have other acts of presbytery here. Appointing presbyters was not a, uh, an act of a single man, but of at least two, Paul and Barnabas. And a presbyter has more than one officer by definition, more than one church. It's a regional collection of churches. I didn't say how small, with a college of officers. Here we have at least two men ordaining other men, not one man running around ordaining others, although I suspect the apostle could because he was an apostle. <clears throat> they governed by preaching. Preaching is an authoritative act appointed by existing authorities ordinarily. Again, contrary to the American way of thinking that anybody who feels they have a call from God, I emphasize the word feels, they have a call from God, just goes out and starts preaching. But preaching, properly understood, is a public declaration, an authoritative declaration, because it involves warning as well. It's a representative activity as well, because the pastor, the one who preaches, represents the church and Christ and his word and his ministry in a special way. We all know that intuitively, even Americans, because we say the apostles are different. There's something special about them. When they preach, I want to hear them. But don't we all preach? Well, yeah, but something different about the, there is something different about the apostles. They were given and laid aside publicly with laying on of hands a special office that came with special authority and special job. And that's all the office is. It's special in the sense that it's set aside, whether deacon, ruling elder, or minister, for specific public duties and responsibilities that you don't have. You have private uh, responsibilities and duties that are similar. Sure, you help people. Sure, you talk to people. So we've gone over this before. As you know, I'm not going to go into the details there, that there's obviously a difference. And so they were preaching here, and they were exercising uh, therefore, the authority given to them in Acts 13 by laying on the hands of other men who were not apostles to do this job, that is a presbytery. They created these churches uh, by preaching there. Apparently, presumably, as we know from the rest of Acts, lots of people were converted, or at least enough people were converted to start a church, and they appointed presbyters in every church. They started churches. Presbyters start churches. They can start churches. They're, they're a presbyter, acting on the behalf, more precisely, of a presbytery. Just like uh, when we had the installation of several ministers here uh, in Colorado, and uh, Tripp, Elder Martin went, and other uh, ministers and elders from other churches went, not every officer of the presbytery went. Just, a, 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 just enough to say, we represent the presbytery, and what's going on here is legit. We, we all understand this in everyday life. The same thing should happen in churches. Unfortunately, it doesn't. There's a lot of fly-by-night stuff going on in churches. Very chaotic that way. And so with respect to establishing pastors and establishing churches, you can do two or three or four if they're doing it in the name of the presbytery. And they are, because again, the laying on of hands was given to them that is authority in Acts 13. And of course, uh, they I will skip this part here. Uh, they govern by examining presbyters. Can you imagine the apostles not taking his own advice? Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in another man's sin. Keep yourself pure. And goes through a list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, saying why? You better examine those men. They examine the men. Who examines the ones they lay hands on? A presbytery, because they're the ones that lay hands on them. They're doing the act and function of the presbytery. That's another way of saying that. It was in Acts 13.3 that I referred to several times. And when they had fasted and prayed, that is, uh, the ministers and prophets, so that's a special office that's, that's gone as well, they had fasted and prayed and laid, hand, laid their hands on them. Who? Paul and Barnabas and sent them away. To do what? To do important work of a presbytery. 
And they did. They established churches throughout Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and reported on just those churches, not other churches, because they considered them one entity, one presbytery, collection of churches, them as the governing authorities, or in their case, representing the governing authorities of the presbytery. In verse 26, then, we come full circle. For, from there, that is uh, Atalia, from there they sailed to Antioch. Again, that's in the armpit there, up, up northern Syria into Turkey, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Because they did the work of what? The officers of the presbytery that sent them out to establish a new presbytery. That's what we're seeing here. Presbyterianism is in the Bible. It's in the details here in Acts. They've come full circle. When they left Antioch with a commission in Acts 13.3, the commission is not explicit. It's implied. But we see it by their behavior. They preached and they established new churches. And they appointed presbyters, verse 23, in every church. And then they reported on this job back at Antioch, completing the work that they had begun. The report that they give doesn't have much detail other than they reported what God had done. And God has done a lot of things. He'd done things materially. He'd done things spiritually. He'd done many things that uh, are probably not even recorded here. The preaching, of course, the making of many disciples in verse 21 and the like. But I want to point out here the, the need for the report. I don't believe this is the only report ever given by the apostles or pastors of the ancient church. Acts is not written to give you a blow-by-blow chronology of every church and every pastor of every activity they ever did. But they're snapshots to show you the work of God in various parts, especially in the latter part of the book, which focuses is over the shoulder of Paul, right? You're looking over his shoulder. And even then, it's not everything he did every day, or maybe even every month. And so here, in this instance, where they talk about giving report to the leaders in Antioch, surely they did it everywhere else, because reports are most needful. How do you know what happened unless you open your mouth? <laughs> or write it down, but back then they did lots of opening of their mouths. We do both. We have a written report, and we give a summary up, up at the front. It is needful to have such reports for those who are sent out for the work to be done to explain what happened to those who sent them out, because they are what? Responsible to them. They're responsible to the presbytery. It is a cause or a means of accomplishing Good communication to the church, a good direction, good facts and information for prayer, praise. You need to do this. You don't need a proof text. I don't need this text as such, although God gave it to us to edify us, to say, do reports, please, if you can, verbally or otherwise. And I point this out because there's sometimes confusion in in conservative circles, people who think they're really ultra-conservative Presbyterians, and they're like, I have to have a verse and chapter for everything that the Presbytery does. No. No, there are a lot of cause, means, occasions, provocations thereunto that are needed to accomplish the end for which a Presbytery is established, which is the health of the local churches, the spiritual health of the local churches, right? And that's why we have committees. There's no list of committees. I don't see committees in Acts. You can try to argue these two are a committee, but you can just say, well, they're just two missionaries that came from the field and gave a report. You don't call that a committee today, and we don't call it a committee as such in a presbytery. But we have committees because they are functionally useful as long as they don't trump what God has clearly outlined the authority of a presbytery and the officers of a presbytery and the job of a presbytery. They are subservient to that end and should be used or discarded accordingly. 
So I believe in Presbyterianism, but I don't believe that every exact thing that we do must be spelled out in the Word of God. You, your hands would be tied down. Couldn't get anything done. So the report here, I would argue, is natural law. It's common sense. The church has lots of things that are done by common sense and natural law. You keep things clean. You don't want to get sick. You open the windows when it gets hot. You close the windows when you get cold. Whatever the case is, you don't need a proof text for it. <clears throat> and so the reports here are helpful. There are formal reports, uh, I would contend, not just fly-by-night stuff, but they were careful in what they spoke and, and explained what happened. They give the reports by virtue of their public office and public actions. They have to give a public report so people know that they're doing their job. How do I know a pastor is doing his job unless you hear from him? I give a pastor's report once a year. You kind of hear it in passing throughout the year sometimes, some of the things I do. You can always ask me privately or publicly if you want, and I'll answer you. And um, what's interesting here, of course, as well, is the verb used to describe the sending out of the apostles. particular word to use for the proclamation of kings, um, report of envoys, messages of sorrow, communications of various kinds, and more uh, weekly letters to tell. Excuse me, the verb to tell here, uh, when they told the church, or they reported. That's the translation. It's stronger. It's a proclamation of kings, report of envoys, a message of sorrow, or communications of various kinds. It's rarely ever used for just to tell. So again, emphasizing the formality, emphasizing the authority implied in what's going on here. That is, they are submitting, Paul is submitting to a presbytery and giving a report of his duty. We ought to, as church officers, and you ought to expect of church officers that they submit to their presbyteries. If they're godly presbyteries, obviously. So, it's useful report as well what God has done. He started churches in the gospel, uh, with the gospel. He strengthened the churches through preaching, uh, we read, and made many disciples and established, in fact, uh, new ministries by appointing uh, presbyters in every church, in every city. And, of course, anything else that God had done, which would probably provide food for them, support, and greetings. We know they had assistants with them that were working with them and helping them with uh, their journey and the like, so they can focus on the task at hand and not be distracted by various and sundry things. Read, for example, in Acts 5, why they gave deacons to the church. <clears throat> so, the reports that they gave are probably broad sweeping, and just they reported all that God had done with them, and that He opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, a special work of God, uh, as we'll see in Acts 15. This is before the Jerusalem Council why they're highlighting this. That's why Luke is highlighting this. He opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. He didn't need to be a Jew. And Paul spearheaded that. And he reported to them. That's an important thing the church ought to know. The Presbyterian ought to know about it so they can react accordingly. And of course, we end up having the Jerusalem Council because of it. Because this Presbyterian says, uh-oh, what's going on here? We've got great news. And other Jews from other Presbyterians like, this doesn't sound like good news. you still got to be Jews. And you all know the debate about that. Now today in our Presbyterian, our presbyteries in the OPC, I'm sure similar in other, uh, the PCA and other places, our sister denominations. We have a college of leaders, collection of leaders, over a collection of churches. The Presbyterian of Dakotas is Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and Dakotas, north and south. About 15 churches that we meet twice a year to deal with common issues to all the churches. We give reports. <laughs> they reported, we read here in verse 27. 
Uh, we have the missions committee. They work within the presbytery and give reports as well. Uh, although he has also worked with um, Murray Yumoto as well, since he's the natural uh, connection to that as the missions chair. It's very broad. At the General Assembly, the committees are foreign missions and home missions, or home missions extension. But same idea. Sessional oversight, we call the SOC. Uh, well, where we have uh, a minister and others who are on a committee to oversee and visit the churches. Uh, we see Paul and Barnabas, for example, visiting the churches here and again in chapter 16 in some of the same places. See, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it makes sense to me that we ought to imitate their example, even if, again, we don't have their example. We believe that the power of the presbytery is to maintain protection, spiritual protection and edification of the regional churches. And it may be that the, the Sessional Oversight Committee should go to the local church and say, How, how's it going? What, what prayers do you need? Do you need any help? Do you need any assistance? Uh, do you need some peacemakers? I got some connections, something like that, to show that interconnection and love for one another. Um, and of course, other means, causes, occasions, and provocations thereunto that these committees can use, uh, if need be, to get the task and job done. People are fearful, of course, of misuse of authority. And I tell you, I don't think I don't see that happening anytime soon in the small uh, Presbyterian churches. Just, <laughs> we're too small to run around and try to force and, and uh, be tyrants as a presbytery. Uh, there might be ma- major mistakes and the like, but nevertheless. Reports to the General Assembly as well. We have, I'm not going to go through all those, but the reports include numbers and money. We have a treasury chair at the presbytery level, because what you do with money is a spiritual matter. If it's done wrong, then it ought to be concerned of the church, or the regional church, if the monies are being stolen or manipulated wrongly. It should be the same concern in the local church, so you expect reports locally. So when it says the work of God, yes, the first thing you think of is preaching, but the work of God also includes the most mundane things in the church. He's fed you, he's clothed you, and he's given you money. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the resources? Are you a steward of God or not? And the steward idea is not just individual, but collective, as a church collectively and as a presbytery. It is a spiritual activity. Baptism and roles, church roles and baptisms are kept. We have a list of that. A good pattern of that, of course, is in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. <laughs> or the role of the church in the Old Testament. Roles, again, are obviously a means, cause, and occasion to maintain good order in the church, which is a general declaration of 1 Corinthians 14, do all things in decency and good order. That is a good order way when you can get to it and get it done. Diaconal concerns as well, and other special issues, not only at the Presbytery, but the General Assembly, which you can think of as a super Presbytery, right? It's the whole, all the churches in our America. And they give such information that is needful, so that you can make the right decisions about the money, the right decisions about where to put a pastor, where to put a missionary, do we put them here or put them there, give me some regional reports. Do you need help? Uh, someone really got in a car accident and <laughs> getting sued. Do you need help from the local church? And the church, local church can't help you? The regional church has some money. Or we can ask other of the churches for a special offering so we can help one another so the world knows we love one another. That's what we ought to do. That's part of the function of a presbytery, not just legal matters and sitting down and giving reports, but also praying for one another and being aware of one another's needs, both financial and spiritual, so that we can do what we can to help as a regional body. 
Thank the Lord that we do have divine examples in Acts. Thank the Lord that we do have a long history of practicing Presbyterianism and connection and love between churches and reporting on the work of God in the churches and the prayer requests and the praises as we heard this morning. And pray, Lord, to the Lord, all of you, that this would continue in our presbytery and in our denomination. Let us pray. Lord God above, our Savior and Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas. We thank you, Lord, as we see a snapshot of a creation of a new presbytery and a report to the old presbytery, God. And we ask and pray, Lord God above, that you would be with our presbytery, be with our denomination, Lord, that we would give reports, not just perfunctory, Lord, just out of habit, but reports that are useful and helpful, Lord, and people would pay attention and do what they can uh, to support one another in the work of the ministry of the churches. In your name alone we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.